Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 188 of the Argon Podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And joining me today are my two crystalline co-hosts. I'm drunk, Pat. I mean, not Pat. You drunk. must be drunk if you're projecting <laughs> me. <laughs> that was... I'm actually not that drunk, I swear. I mean, hold on. I, I can smell your drink when you came into the basement. It was pretty strong. Don't lie but to that, them. I mean, that I'm was a huge saying, lie. I'm not drinking. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm not there yet. <laughs> you, oh my god! Uh, okay, uh, I am uh, Wendy Wenzel, even though it has nothing to do with crystals. Oh, it's his favorite character from Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Wendy? Mm-mm. I don't know about that. She got shot in the in the chest with an arrow, and she came back to life. I like the crocodile. Crocodile's pretty rad. Yeah, the crocodile is a symbol for your latent boar fetish. Mm-hmm. No, nope. that Captain I, Hook. I like reptiles. It's called death to the author. It can mean whatever I want it to mean. <laughs> but anyway, we're not talking about literary device. We're talking about cinematic devices and our just cinematic enjoyment. Because this is our one of our seasonal check-ins for the year. Uh, of course, we're still in quarantine and we're still watching movies. So we'll be catching up you, you all with what we've been watching uh, since the end of the summer and up till now in the fall with our fall quarantine viewing special. And just basically we're just going through the months and just talking about some of the like our favorite movies or even least favorite movies, just some of the movies that stood out to us uh, on our movie watching journey. And plus we'll be talking about where we stand on our 100 movie challenge. Of course, I think we're all past the 100 movie mark, but at this point we're just seeing how far we can go. And if you're listening to this and you're tired of us, well, we're not tired of movies. Uh, so <laughs> buckle up. Let us up. have this. Is all we have. <laughs> but uh, as for just where we are in our challenge, where we where, where are y'all at right now? Uh, let, um, me, let me check my letterbox right quick. I know I know exactly what I where I'm at. I'm at a hundred and five. I'm at 112. I think uh, with today's movie, I'm at 143. Jesus Christ. We got ourselves a fucking tryhard over here. I mean, like, Colt was like 180 or some shit. <laughs> I, I don't know. He He's pretty, uh, he definitely slowed down, but uh, yeah, he's pretty far ahead. Yeah, motherfucker speedrunning this shit. Yeah, he's, he's going for the speedrun, 200 movie challenge. Uh, I, I will <laughs> say that that is sort of accurate. Um, I think ever since I hit 100, it's definitely been on a, a slower pace. I'm taking a bit more easy in the fall, but I'm definitely, I want to get back into watching some more movies, but just with the holidays and us sort of ramping up with the podcast a little bit at the end of the year, like that movie watching schedule is getting a little bit harder to maintain too. Yeah, it definitely slowed down for me as well. Cause like I watched so far only one movie this month, um, which was my, my 105th movie. Um, I wanted to watch more, but the PlayStation five, uh, came out and, uh, it's uh, it's definitely slowed me down even more. Uh, I do, as, as you, Pat, I do want to get back into watching more because I have a lot of um, I have a lot of criterion that need to be need to be viewed. Yeah, my, I, I've slowed down a lot too. I don't know. Mo- uh, lately, just been doing other things like uh, catching up on the manga and JoJo and uh, and watching some TV. So I haven't really watched that many movies the past couple months, but. There are some gems I have in here we, I'll be willing to talk about. Hell yeah. Oh, I was just going to also say congrats to everybody because we all beat our 100 movie challenge. So. Woo, 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 woo. Hey, everybody, a round of snaps. Was this I'm snapping. Time? It just won't pick up. 
Oh, is this the first t- year y'all completed the 100 movie? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think last year I got to about 76. It was somewhere in the 70s. I I think I got to maybe 40-something. I don't remember. I wasn't even close. Uh, I, I, I know for me going forward into the, the last part of the year, I'm going to try to focus on the some of the some 2020 movies that came out. I know we, since we're you know, in lockdown, you can't go to the movie theater, but they're still releasing movies. So there's, there's definitely some that's come out this year and ones that will come out. I, I would like, like to, to grab before the end of the year. Like there's a couple of like uh, a couple of horrors that came out this year. Um, I really want to get to because like this year has really been sort of like the, the emergence of my horror fandom. So I really want to like check out some of the new ones that came out this year. Uh, there's one on Netflix that I've heard a lot of good stuff talk about. That's his house. Yes, I've been really wanting yes. to get to it. I've heard like, that's they said that's probably one of the strongest films of the year, from, from, at least from my corner of the internet. That's what people were saying. Same, dude. Oh man, I want to see it. So I've been well, I can't see it. I have Netflix, but like I just haven't found the time. But yeah, I've heard great things about that. Sorry, I burped. Um, <laughs> I've heard great things, and um. Uh, I was gonna say too. I'm, I'm definitely December. I want to hit some 2020 movies because um, Tenant releases physically next month, and um, I said I was gonna rent it, but I, th- I have a feeling I'm gonna really like it. So I kind of just want to buy it, either the 4K edition or the Blu-ray. I like um, uh, Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, Possessor. Um, I really, really want to see it because the trailer um, from earlier or later uh, back this year uh, looked so made look so good. I know Colt watched it; he liked it, um, and I have a feeling I will probably really like it. I really like his father's stuff, David Cronenberg, his work, and um, I've heard good things about this. And I will um, say, uh, I did watch Possessor today of the recording, and we'll get into that in a bit. But like, it's. It's definitely a very powerful movie. Well, I'll extrapolate it in the in the future, but the hell, <laughs> man! I need to watch. Okay, I need to watch it. Um, I, it's just that like I see that there's gonna be a 4K edition of Possessor, and there's one for Tenet, and I'm like, okay, I kind of want to get those because I have a 4K TV now. But then I also want the Blu-ray just because it's you know consistency with all my other blu-ray collection but it's like why not get the nicer edition you know this is this is a completely first world problem that's <laughs> dumb um <laughs> um <laughs> but uh 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 <laughs> i'm sorry i'm trying to remember uh there was a sale on target for uh buy to get one free of music books or movies and i did partake in that sale and i got uh the blu-ray of first cow and the blu-ray of a hidden life which those both technically came out last year but a first cow didn't come to theaters till this year but it probably would have never come here anyway but the pandemic completely just blew that dream out of you know out of orbit and um yeah, so uh, I I'll def I'll be getting those I think sometime next week, and I'll definitely check them out because to rent them it's pretty much the same price as buying them, or it's a little it's it's not the same price, but I thought you know why not buy them? So I did, and I got another I got a free movie out of that as well. So um, yeah, hell yeah, 
John, were there any uh, movies that you know of from 2020 you, you, you want to touch on, you want to get to before we get into our actual movie discussion? I mean, I haven't really been, as sort of being the resident movie person, uh, yeah, I haven't really been paying too much attention to what's, you know, coming out, just because, you know, pandemic, it's like, you know, why even bother at this point? But, like, just some, like, just some of the movies y'all have mentioned, like Possessor, uh, I'm curious about Tenet and like First Cow and movies like that. Um, but other than that, there hasn't been really been anything of this year that has I've, that has stuck out, but like also too haven't really been paying that much attention to it. I mean, like you said, the pandemic kind of, you know, a lot of, lot of stuff just kind of got delayed you know so there wasn't really too much came out i mean you got stuff coming out on streaming services like netflix um or things but like, like just a rent on vod well and then also too just like because like because of the pandemic a lot of studios are treating this as sort of a dumping ground so like a lot of the movies i have seen of this year have been just like meh at best or i guess the movies that are still coming out in theaters right now are sort of like the, the studios didn't have like a whole lot invested in them, so it's not really going to matter as much if they doesn't get like the big bucks. I will say one thing that's kind of helped me keep abreast of like movies that are coming out this year that are worth watching is like I I have a script a um account with Voodoo, which is like Walmart's rental streaming service, mm-hmm. and if there's a lot of interesting. There's definitely like some kind of like bizarre bugs on there. Like, um, one I want to see because it just sounds batshit crazy is uh, Nicolas Cage's new movie, Jiu Jitsu. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you just have like a long haired cage with a katana, which, like, I'm no martial arts expert, but I don't think you use weapons in Jiu Jitsu, at least not a katana. And I heard it's just bonkers. And there's, there's one movie that Canon turned us on to. That it's a Christmas movie, and I, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll we'll put a pen in that and come back to it. But but it looks especially crazy. Yeah. But I I guess we should go and get started with what we have been watching throughout the fall. I'll I'll get started. Been watching a lot of horror movies, you know, you know, before Halloween, you know, month of October, spooky time, and we uh, got to some classics that I never got to. Back in the day, and uh, me and Pat watched uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street and the original Halloween, which has been sort Ooh. of a blind spot in my m- uh, movie consumption. And, I mean, there's a reason they're classics. They're really good. I, I really I really just sort of like the, the ambience of a Halloween, how it's just really, I, I don't know how to describe it, but... Uh, Spooky. <laughs> yeah, like it's genuinely scary in in the sense of it's just this unstoppable killing machine, which doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, that's my gripe. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it's you know, and it's like, is there a supernatural element? Who knows? But or just like the fact that it's just this unhuman thing coming after you, and there's nothing you can do. You can't reason with it. It's just coming to kill you. What plus it's funny is that. Halloween more or less started what we know as the slasher genre, but it doesn't really have a lot of the, in some ways, it doesn't really have the trappings of the slasher because I think it was Friday the 13th that really codified what a slasher would be. Yeah. Even though, like, Halloween is the one who that normally gets credited with it. I mean, because that's where you start seeing, uh, 
well, granted, Texas Chainsaw had the final girl, but like, you know, the the well established final girl, uh, the promiscuous teens getting killed off or doing the do. Yeah. And uh, things like that. Um, and, and like all the performances are great. Like Donald Pleasance in this movie. And, you know, of course, his breakout role for uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And then we and then we also watched, like I said, Nightmare on Elm Street, which was one I never really was a franchise I never got to as a kid. I, I was the same way. Like if, if I was ever really attached to one horror franchise, it was the Halloween's. And it was definitely interesting to see what sort of like the pop culture osmosis concept I had of Nightmare on Elm Street and then watching the original and how the two are different. Well, yeah, and this is before they turned Freddy into this comedy, horror comedy character. Yeah. Like, I don't even think he said bitch one time, which was... Well, was I was shocked. It's I, like, he didn't say bitch once in this movie. I, I was really disappointed. But, uh... Yeah, and I mean, he's treated more like a genuine slasher villain, similar to, you know, Jason, Michael Myers, etc. The The only thing that throws me is the ending, and apparently Wes Craven didn't like the ending either. Yeah, because I know... Because that was like a studio thing. Yeah, because I know the studio, they... Wes Craven's original ending was much more, like, optimistic and sort of close-ended. But the studio was just like, no, we uh, we, we think this is going to be big and, you know, franchise. So they made it a more, like, bleak. But at the same time, it doesn't really make sense. And it really, like, kind of screws with the continuity of the following films. Yeah, and I think like most everybody was like, well, we're just going to ignore the like last 5 minutes of the movie. Not to mention there's some really bad effects like when the mom gets sucked through the door. Yeah. And you can clearly tell that's like an inflatable doll. Yeah, like th- th- there's like some good effects in the movie. Like but, Freddy, like coming out like through the wall and shit, like that. It, that was all practical. And, and then, like uh, when um, when the certain ones get like you know get slashed with the claws and the blood comes out, those are all look, still look good. But yeah, like that last bit looks kind of dodgy. I felt it probably looked dodgy even at the time. But uh, it was like it was like a, a, still a very strong movie. Like I, I was kind of a little hesitant because I didn't know like how like goofy or hokey it would be, considering just like how comedic the later films are yeah exactly but no i mean it's treated fairly straight and one thing i love about the movie was you know it's how these it's very much about you know the adults of the town trying to suppress the darker secrets of the past and you know the kids are smart they know what's going on but like the adults are acting like nothing's wrong yeah also the adults are fucking infuriating Oh my god, they're all <laughs> fucking awful. I, I just I just want to slap them all. It's like, why, Freddy, why aren't you going after them? Yeah, because like even the most like I would say like I guess emotionally relatable character is stymied by they're just like a, a hapless drunk. Yeah, it's mm. like okay, and, and it's not that it's bad or anything. It was just like ah, you, you, you know, you just want to reach in the TV and strangle them because they're so infuriating. But I, I want to say it might have been with the this Freddy that would, that kind of started the whole like adults are useless in teenage horror movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, what can you do against Freddy? I mean, he's like what invading people's dreams. That's when you get the dream gun. <laughs> oh, dream <laughs> gun! Bam. <laughs> uh, Freddy's only weakness a gun. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I was going to say, the way Jonathan described uh, Halloween, it makes it kind of sound like um, existentialist, uh, because I never I never really thought about that, uh, having yeah, like... Yeah, I, per- almost like, I, I, hate, I hesitate to say Lovecraftian, because I feel like that gets overused, but very... It's almost cosmic in a way of how just inhuman Michael Myers is, and how like like just like how vacant his body and, and like his expression. Even though of course he's wearing a mask, but like, but but the mask is just plain. And it's sort of it's just like that. That to me, that's one of the strongest parts about the years and Halloween. Just like how understated a lot of the horror is, because like there's not a lot of stabby stabby killy killy in the movie. It's just a lot of it, just like him stalking. Yeah, you'll just be he'll just be in the background of shots and there's no attention paid to it hardly. And and to me, that's the scariest parts of the movie where you, you know, you're just, your eyes are kind of wandering in the frame and then it's like, Oh fuck, there he is. And there was, there's one bit uh, that I forgot about at toward the end of the movie that, that, that fucking gets you. What, what bit was it? The, the undertaker bit? No, like the one, like went through the, come through the door. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like, all right. <laughs> and plus, like, I, I have to imagine what it must have been like for people to watch Halloween for the very first time, where like Michael Myers literally just like he gets like two killing blows essentially, but he just gets back up. Like that hasn't been done before. Everybody's just like, what the fuck is happening? Why isn't he dying? Yeah, and and and, and I grant, and I think like you know the later adi- uh, additions to the series probably have a supernatural element. But there's really not one in, at least explicitly. So it's just like, why is this guy still going? Yeah. And plus, like, I, I forgot like how actually capable Jamie Lee Curtis's character was in the film. Mm-hmm. Because, like, usually with the final girl, she's sort of like this hapless girl throughout the movie. And then, like, at the last second, she has to, to fight or flight to fight the, the monster. But then, like, she actually gets some good licks on Michael in the movie. It's oh, like, yeah. She's, like, very capable. Even, even like, uh, movies that uh, came before this, like Texas Chainsaw, where, the you know, <laughs> the last, like, 30 minutes of that movie is just that poor girl screaming and being tortured. But, uh, yeah, like, Jamie, and, and I think there's a reason why Jamie Lee Curtis's character is so fondly remembered. Mm-hmm. Just it, not not just in like horror, but like just movies. Period. Yeah, I I I'm so sorry. It sounded like you said boobies instead of movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, did he just say boobies? Why would he say that? <laughs> yes, Wenzel. I said big mommy milkers, big fucking gazongas. Cut that out. Somebody cut that. No. <laughs> well, it's Johnson's turn to edit, so it, they have free reign over what stays or goes. Yeah, this is getting cut. <laughs> uh, milkers. Big mommy milkers. That's basically all I have to say on those two. I did want to talk about my first time watching Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. Uh, because, like, like I said earlier, was like I of the horror franchises, I was more so in the Halloween, because that's just the one that was more available to me. But John showed me was probably their horror predilection, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And... I know at least from my personal sort of horror circle and what I've seen online, there's a lot of love for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, like, I had literally no real concept of it other than it's just, like, daylight horror. And, like, it's really just, like, surreal how, like, it's broad daylight and it just feels 
like un, like almost alien in the way it's shot. And there's like there's some amazing shots in this movie. Like there's some like top notch cinematography. Like when they first walk up on the Leatherface homestead and just just that sharp steep angle looking up toward the house. Like oh yeah, clear sky. Yeah, and it goes up under the swing and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 it and that's something you don't really think about too much because it's all almost shot documentary style too, mm-hmm. where it, it especially the parts towards the end of the movie makes it feel a little more real, even though there are a bunch of really harsh cuts in the editing. But yeah, like Texas Chainsaw was a movie I grew up watching and traumatized the fuck out of me as a kid. And I was always, I was kind of nervous going into it again because it was like, you know, I saw it when I was like six Somewhere between the ages of six and ten, I don't remember. Probably way too young. Either way, I, I was I was a youngin, and, and like I've I saw the second one before this, and the second one's more overtly comedic. So it, jumping from that to this movie, where it is just fucking bleak and horrific, and, and just even like Leatherface's entrance is so understated, and and like we were talking about with uh, Michael Myers and Halloween, how that was more powerful than you know the more like overt like boogada 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 you know because like as like i think it's the 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 that guy who gets killed first he he's just sort of walking towards the door and then leatherface just bloop bloop hits him with a hammer and then drags him into the room and that's it and there there's not really music in the movie that i remember if, if there is it the score is very faint so, so there's no like sting or anything. It's just, it's just showing this how it happens and its sheer bluntness, and th- that in many ways to me is more frightening than you know any sort of jump scare or like supernatural. I will say like one thing that, re- that helped Halloween is just like the iconic theme, like the music really helped sort of amplify the mood. But with Texas Chainsaw, because like there's little to no score. It kind of feels like anything can happen any moment because that's like it's like that sort of like the uncertainty of real life terror. If like if some dude can just come around the corner and just like clock you in the head with a claw hammer and then you're just like seizing up and he drags you into a fucking meat cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say the only thing I can remember musically is uh, the ending scene. Yeah, and I don't even remember if that's just like music or if that's just sound design. Because, you know, the chainsaw is just revving as Leatherface is just swinging it around. Which is like, it, it's such a, like, like that like that last scene of Leatherface just, like, swinging his chainsaw at the sunset. Like, it's a gorgeous shot, but it's also just so surreal. How it just goes from, like, <laughs> he's chasing the girl down the highway. It's, you know, fucking that one dude. <laughs> that one dude eating shit. I don't, I didn't remember that, but holy fuck. And then, like, she, she, she gets a... The the eighteen wheeler to stop, and he just like yeets a branch at the Leatherface and takes <laughs> off. He, he's like, "Bye, bitch, I'm running." And then she hops on the bed of a flat tr- truck, and she just like rides screaming off into the sunset. And one like behind the scene note too was apparently that scene was just like really hard. Like, and there was like this whole movie had a lot of issues during the filming of it. So they they finish the scene and the and the the woman who plays the final girl she's like all right 
I'm done. And then they come back and it's like, the film was no good. We got to do it again. And so, and she said like her laughing as, as they're driving off was like a real reaction. Cause she was just like, so fucking done with it. Yikes. Cause you know, she had to be caked in all the grime and shit. And it's just like, ugh. I couldn't imagine Fuck. having to sit through that. And just sort of stay in that sort of fearful headscape right, for hours and just be ready to fucking go out. Yeah, especially because everything from the dinner scene on is just her screaming. Which, which might be a turnoff for some people. <laughs> yeah, if they, oh, when we were watching it, uh, Liz and Can, they, they were get you know... They weren't watching it with us, but they were in the other room, and they were like, God damn, shut the fuck up. Like, they were experiencing it, so they just hear, like, this girl shrieking for 45 minutes straight. Yeah, and it's just, but, like, to me, it's just, like, really harrowing, and, like, it's, like, the cutting is really harsh and quick, Uh, and that's that's juxtaposed to the rest of the movie, where it's pretty steady for the most part, Mm -hmm. but this is very harsh jump cuts, uh, there's many shots of just her eyeball for like ten minutes. It's just like her eyeballs just like darting around. It's just like, like literally centimeters from her fucking face. And the the image that's besides the final shots, uh, but the image like the thing that always stuck with me was when they brought out Grandpa. Yes, that fucking <laughs> threw me. I was like, what the fuck? That shit terrified me as a kid where they're like get her grandpa (laughs) but uh and then on top of that like if you want to go down a rabbit hole just go on like jstor and just look up the academic writing on texas chainsaw massacre because it's fucking extensive like probably the most like written about horror movie Probably next to The Exorcist. Damn. Because I was about to say, everybody talked about The Exorcist. Like, fuck. Which, that's another one I haven't seen. I haven't seen The Exorcist. I'm, I'm very interested to find, to watch that one day. You know, yeah, me too. I haven't seen it. Uh, I've only seen, actually, parts of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I was too scared of it as a kid. Um I caught a, um, it was like a, on one of these old horror, ch- not old, uh, these horror channels that you get on cable, they'll, uh, occasionally during October, they'll do a thing where, like, it's, it's like sort of like a, um, a documentary kind of show that will talk about horror movies and stuff. And, yeah. uh, and it would be on there and I would, like, uh, I would, like, see it and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, Never got a chance to watching that. I never got a chance to watch on The Exorcist because, again, as a kid, my dad told me about how terrifying it was, and that was when I was Christian. So, of course, you know, believed it. And um, yeah, but definitely. and they say that movie hits a lot different if you're religious versus if you're not. But so I'm just gonna say, like, if you're Christian, wouldn't you want to like support watching it because, like, God wins? Yeah, that, that's... the power of Christ compelled the bitch. Well, just saying. <laughs> Uh, well, let me tell you something. This is where we're going to get a little weird because um, there's a lot of stuff that actually happened for the making of the film. So a lot of Christians believe also the film is cursed, but also there is a sect of Catholicism that believes that if you uh, – I could be wrong. 
I think it's Catholicism or it just might be a sect of Christianity in general that believes that if you watch a film that like mentions demons, talks about the devil or anything like that, then technically that counts as worshiping him. And that's why my dad, <laughs> uh, when you first watched that, he was like, he was already spooked out, but that's also why he avoids any sort of movie that involves possession or anything. Because if it can, if the media contains anything having to do with possession, demonic possession, the devil or anything, then technically it is worshiping him and giving him power. Yeah. Well, that, that's something that's not like relegated to one or even just a small group of sects. Well, the, re- the reason why I say sect is because I remember there was a woman I, I remember was talking about this. Um, I, I saw this a few months ago where that she said that her family was in this sect that believed this. That's why I say sect. I, I didn't know if it was like a specific belief, but also I do know there are specific, like you said, Christians who do believe this, like my dad, who, uh, who is like uh, a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I and I I always heard growing up in the church is like you watch those type of movies you're opening the door for that shit to come to get you type. Of thing. Exactly. So like, I mean, like my, like my mom like while she was strict on some things, horror movies weren't always one of those things she was strict on. Like my parents were the one who showed me fucking Texas Chainsaw. You can you can watch all the blood and guts you want, but there better not be a fucking titty in it. Yeah, and and then like, cause like my and then like my mom wouldn't let me watch fucking Nightmare on Elm Street, even though that was her favorite franchise when she was a kid, because she was, <laughs> cause she was like, y'all, you're just gonna open the door to the demons, hun. I'm like, they ain't real, mom. They ain't real. Fuck. <laughs> Freddy isn't real. He's fictional. It's gonna be okay. Uh, Q2 uh, next week we have to say I'm sorry Jonathan got cut up by these imaginary claws in his bed or got sucked into bed and he's yeah. like guys are a fucking blood sheet set. oh my god like <laughs> I was not ready for that and it's like holy fuck this is extra I mean it's a good effect but god damn it's just like some like fucking Tarantino levels of gore shit <laughs> but also Freddy's a bitch I'll, I'll fucking fight him just hide and watch I just dream up a gun. Yeah, like I said, Freddy's only dream. weakness is a fucking Glock. It's like, like Wenzel just turns into like Freddy Krueger, but instead of claws, one he just has a, a, a whole ass gun for each finger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there was that one villain in um, My Hero. Uh, he was a minor villain who had, uh, yeah, his fingers could shoot bullets. So, yeah. like, you see him for like a like a few seconds because. Um, Whenever in the first season he appears uh, to invade the school, then he gets beat up by a razor head, and then he gets beat up again by All Might, uh, or something like that, or I can't remember, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that would be sick. But yeah, I uh, Texas Chainsaw is a movie I highly recommend to everybody, and, and especially after this rewatch and like how well it holds up today. Yeah, it, it's... It's definitely one of my faves. Nice, and I think nice. it's on Shutter too. So yeah, it's just the um, the fortieth anniversary restored edition, I believe. Yeah, and it's also really short. It's under ninety minutes. So yeah. if that's going to be a deterrent, just know Ooh. it's not that long. Ooh. 
Um, did, did you have any spookies you watched over Halloween? Uh, no. Um, I did watch some spooky movies back in September, but I'm I'm fairly certain I talked about them on at some point in the podcast. And then I watched some spooky movies, but that was for um the found footage episode. So no, not really. But I did, you know, I watched a. Uh, October was when I did hit my hundred movies. Um, my uh, I, I I'll, I'll talk about two of them. Uh, like you said, we're going back and forth. But um, my ninetieth movie actually in October was the uh, Year of Living Dangerously. They came out in nineteen eighty two. It was directed by Peter Ware. I think that's how you see his name. <clears throat> it um it stars Mel Gibson and Sigourney Weaver, and it's like okay, you know Mel Gibson, piece of shit. Hey, yeah. Um. Obligatory. But, fuck him. But man, he's a really uh his performance is really good. And um and like it makes me really sad. <laughs> like why do, why? Why did you have to be a piece of shit? Why? <laughs> like, please. But, you know, whatever. Um Sigourney Weaver, fantastic as well. It uh the Year of Living Dangerously Dangerously takes place that's, uh that's during sort of the struggle that, you know, Shitty people can make good things. Yeah. <laughs> um, it takes place during 1960s Indonesia. What? No, I was looking at the cast list, and I was kind of blown away by uh, the revelation of one of the characters. But continue, continue. Um, it takes place during the political instability within 1960s Indonesia, specifically with um, Sukarna, the, uh, the leader uh of the country at the time and um you know it, it's sort of based uh well i don't know how much i i the, the story itself because mel gibson plays like a journalist who travels there um so like that that's like a fictional story but like the the political instability and what's happening did actually happen during the 1960s in Indonesia. And um, there was a weird... I think I might have talked about this all before on the podcast, but there was a really, really weird casting choice um, for a character because it's based off of a... It's based off a book, and there's a character named Billy Kwan, and he's a, he's a Chinese little person. Um, the, the person they had casted for him was Linda Hunt, who is not Chinese. And, Nor is she a man. <laughs> Because, like, and nor, nor, nor she's a man. Uh, which I will say, for anybody who doesn't recognize the name, Linda Hunt is the little tiny woman that's the head head officer person in NCIS Los Angeles. Oh my god. Oh Sorry, fuck. LL Cool J. I, did, Chris, I forgot Chris she was McDonald. in NCIS. Oh my god. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, what they did for her was they literally cut her hair short, dyed it black, and gave her shoulder pads. <laughs> and that's that's how she became Hello. Billy Kwan. Um, it was a good movie. I really, really enjoyed it. The the soundtrack was really just really good. It was like um Oh man, there was a um, there was a song specifically in there that was used several times. It's like it was a nice like synth. Yeah, it sounded so good. Um, and then another movie I watched that was uh, this came out in 1968. Uh, some of you may have heard of this. Uh, it's a sci-fi classic, kind of. It's called Barbarella, directed by Roger Vadim. Um, Very well stars- done B movie. 
very well known stars Jane Fonda and uh I had a lot of fun with it. It was stupid, but it was fun. Um <laughs> Oh my god. It it um the dialogue it was so it was so fucking stupid. It was so stupid. But goddamn, it was it fun to watch. Um Those are always the best. It was literally just Jane Fonda fucking her way on this planet. <laughs> like hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, man. And um and uh John Philip Law plays uh an angel named Pygar. Stupidest fucking shit ever. Uh, this angel's blind, and he flies. <laughs> All right. Well, he, he's like uh, Daredevil. He just echolocates. <laughs> no, he's, Pat. He's like a fucking he doesn't bat. do that. Like, ah! Just ah! <laughs> No, I mean, like seriously, like how does he get around? It doesn't make any sense. And the thing is, the like, oh my god, if okay. If all, if all, he, he was the last of his species. He actually had a specific species name, but he calls himself an angel later, which doesn't make any sense. And um, and he's like, I'm the last of my kind. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You're blind and you can fly. How are you the last of your kind? How have you not died yet? I mean, that, how do you think the, the rest of them died? The dumb folks were just flying around blind, bumping into shit. Like well, they, I mean, like all of the them thi- simultaneously ran into this giant, conspicuously placed fan. <laughs> just turn them bitches into a blender. <laughs> and okay, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but there is a line at the very end. Can I please say it because yes. it's so stupid? Okay, there's a line where Pygar, okay, he's being tortured by like the main villainess villain and um but later he saves her and Jane Fonda's character is like, "Why did you save her? You know, she hurts you whatever." And he the thing he says is he's uh Barbarella. He's like, "Angels don't remember." That's how the movie ends. Literally. It just, like, cuts to, <laughs> cuts to the black. Uh, it, it, it goes right into song and credits. Wow. Well, well, I might be remembering that wrong. There might actually have been, like, a thing between Barbarella and her superior. But other than that, it goes right into a song. And it's just... And, like, a trippy 60s uh, uh, background. It... <sighs> I loved it. <laughs> it was so good. I, I, I say I loved it. I give it three stars because it was a fun movie. Didn't hate it. It was just, it. you know, you're going to get what you're going to get with a B movie like this. Um, you're there for a good time, not a smart time. No, definitely not. And, you know, I... I <laughs> Pygar, you dumb, beautiful fucker. <sighs> If anybody also, if anybody's listening to this and they want to correct me on that quote, go ahead because I, it was, you know, I don't, I don't, I love Angels it. Angels okay. don't remember and uh, maybe neither does Wenzel. Maybe because I thought about it. I was like, does he say that or does he say angels don't have memory? You know, I'm going to look like a fucking idiot now. Whatever. If you want to correct me, go ahead. I loved it. I hope you love it. I hope out there, whatever. Let's see. Um. One of, one of the movies I watched, it was also on Shudder. I hesitant to call it a horror movie but it was still a very impactful film and that was um the french language film stranger by the lake 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's basically about this um, this lonely gay man who sort of goes to a cruising beach and sort of like as he's like trying to like find somebody to connect with. And since, like it, this isn't a sport. This is basically what you'll get on the synopsis just about anywhere. Um, he sort of finds a really handsome guy he wants to hook up with. But the catch is he sees that man drown a guy he was having sex with. And so, but the thing is, the the guy who committed the murder is also into the main character. So, the main character has to uh, kind of confront how he wants to t- go about this situation. It's like, I just saw this person kill uh, kill a person, but also I'm really attracted to them. And and I think the biggest takeaway from it is just what people are willing to do or not do in order to escape like a crushing loneliness. Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a there's a lot of interesting things it has to say about the gay community and sort of like sort of the, the isolation they feel and sort of the the dangerous or at least risky situations that puts them into. Yeah, and plus I think it has a really interesting thing to say about sort of cruising culture in general, which is sort of like also really risky. We're just kind of like re- literally walking into woods and we're like scoping out a secret place to, to bang somebody surreptitiously, which is also just kind of like a surreal thing in itself because you just see like these sort of older gay men just sort of like milling about in the woods just like looking for someone to fuck and then there's like you just see like three people like banging in the bushes somewhere. It's like it's really surreal. And like honestly, it's like a pretty impactful movie just sort of like on an emotional level too just sort of seeing like what people sort of go through internally dealing with their loneliness and like how it like isolates them, how like sometimes you can be so lonely, you sort of push people away to stay within that because it's comforting. Cause that's what you've known. Yeah. And like, I, I don't, I really don't want to talk about it too much cause there's a lot that really just has to be experienced. But I, I I would really strongly recommend this one because like it's just a very impactful movie and plus it's such a it's such a really good movie, you know for LGBTQIA, and and plus like it might be sort of uh, obvious but like also be prepared to see a lot of dick in the movie. Hell yes, Nate what? Dick. No so way. I, I, I'm pretty sure like within like the first twenty minutes you you literally see like a blowy or like. Or either a blowy or handy, and just someone just busts a fat nut right on camera. <laughs> I can't believe Pat just said blowy and handy. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. Um, so why? Wait. I want to ask. Be, be why would I see that, a? But like, it's, it's a it's a very very good movie. Why would I see a penis in a gay movie? It might come as, as a bit of a shock, but um, <laughs> you know, it might be a few wieners in it. What? No. Okay. That's... Trigger warning for the amount of dick. But uh, yeah, that, I think Shutter's probably the easiest place you could probably find it because you know you just pay the subscription. You can watch everything mm-hmm. on there for quote free. But I feel like that'd be the best place to watch it. Okay. Sick. You know, I've been hyping right. up Shutter all year because like that's one of the the best investments I made this year was buying that because uh there's been a Hell ton yeah. of movies that I watched on there and just um. Still, like, I have a, a list a mile long just on Shutter itself. So, like, there's definitely a lot more I want to get to on that. Shit. Oh, 
I was I was sorry. Quick thing I was gonna say. I looked it up. Pygar says an angel has no memory. It's fucking stupid, and I love it. <laughs> and also, he says late. He says earlier in the movie when he first is introduced, an angel does not make love. An angel is love. Okay, continue. Oh, from turn you late. I got a couple more. Uh, some good gay shit to talk about. One is a Netflix original called "Someone Has to Die." Um, this. Um, it's a it's actually a miniseries. It's like three episodes, I think, on on Netflix. And the reviews seem a little bit more contentious on this one. I personally enjoyed it. It takes place in 1950s Spain about a um, young man who comes back from studying abroad. Um, um, he br- he brings in his traveling companion, mm-hmm. and he basically has to like kind of work up to tell his family that he's actually discovered his sexuality while in another country and this man he brought with him is actually his lover and i will say i think probably some of the the conflict that people have been having with it is that because it takes place in uh, a portion of spain's political history where it had a very um conservative ruling class and there's like and it it has like a big like conflict with this sort of emerging like liberal specifically communist voice that's in the country there's a lot of uh i guess like hateful language and thoughts but sort of like that sort of i guess inherent to the time it's not like an idealized setting where these two gay men sort of like have a a story to be told in a very idealized setting it's it's very uh i guess sort of time very like time appropriate attitudes these people had and not maybe not time appropriate but like very up to time Excuse yeah me. it's like if you're watching a movie that's set in jim crow you're probably bound to hear some very racially charged language so like, there's obviously there's like a lot of homophobic sort of I- ideal uh i guess ideas and honestly there's a lot of like harrowing situations where the gate where certain gay characters are more or less tortured so it could be very intense for, and that that definitely be something that puts people off but i think it had a very interesting story it's like there's like a big mystery i feel a little frustrated certain parts because like i want there's certain characters i really wanted to root for but just like they were not helping themselves in a lot of ways like why are you doing this stop please stop doing this so (laughs) it's it's like gay anxiety for like 300 minutes damn but i i did enjoy i think the one real criticism i have of the miniseries is that there's this choice that it do these sort of interstitial moments like it's sort of like their character is specific and it's sort of it's very symbolic but it kind of feels a little abrupt when it happens like usually it's at, at, at the end of a scene of a scene with this character and it cuts to this sort of completely unrelated scene of them sort of standing in an environment with sort of these very symbolic things happening around them. And a lot of times they're just sort of built a little out of place, but there's one that's just so abrupt and jarring that I couldn't help but laugh (laughs) because spoiler, I guess there, there's one character who is like very repressed in their sexuality and they go cruising. And there's a moment where they're like, they find like a certain stranger they want to hook up with and he's sort of they're trying to like the stranger's like coming on to them but they're like uh i don't know what to do with all these newfound feelings and it's smash cut 
to like these two characters just like fully clothed, banging in the ass that to a tree, just like hardcore fucking. And just, like, <laughs> it's so abrupt, and it just cuts right back to the, to the person, just like, oh, I, maybe I don't want to do this, and they run off. But it, it's <laughs> so jarring. <laughs> oh man. And I will say, like, um, the ending's also pretty abrupt. Oh, okay. So, but I, overall, I, I did enjoy it. I did just sort of be aware there's, like, a lot of period homophobia in it and violence. So, kind of go in, go in there with, like, that sort of warning. If if that if that's not a complete turnoff at all, which it is, very understandable. Um, but the next one is pro- the... Probably one of the only other movies I gave five stars to this year so far. Okay. And that's uh, Bo Travall. And I watched this on the TNT streaming app. uh, I can't, I honestly, I don't remember where I heard about this movie from, but it just sort of caught my eye. And Uh, I was going to say it, um, it's on the Criterion channel. Yeah, it, it 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 was recently added to Criterion, yes. Yeah, it recently it recently got a Criterion release as well, and it was made. This is made by Claire Dennis in 1999, and I think this. I think it's part of like the Turner Classic Movies. There, there's some promotion that's sort of highlighting women filmmakers, and they chose Claire Denise in her film *Bochaval*. And it's just like, if nothing else, it's just a immaculately shot film. Because it takes place in, excuse me, I think it's, it takes place in a certain region of Africa that... Oh, the, uh, the Gulf of uh, Djibouti? Yeah, it, it's um, it, it's a portion of Africa that was colonized by the French, and they have like this military installation there in presence, and it's just like, it's just a, it's a feel like a very like mercurial like dreamlike movie because you see this these sort of these legionnaires in this very far away distant place like they're surrounded by like these salt flats like the ocean so at all times they feel very deeply removed from the rest of the world like all they have is just sort of like they're like each other and sort of this this very rigorous routine and it even though I don't know if this is one of the intentions of the film but like to me it it felt very sort of like haunting in a way that how when you're so far removed from like purpose and all you have is just like this sort of unending sort of mechanical motion you go through, how frightening that can be. Like how suddenly you realize if you, if you like disassociate for a moment, it's like, Oh, I'm just in the middle of nowhere going through all these drills. Like I, I have nothing to do other than that. So it feels like, you would go insane, but if you just focus on the monotony, then you're, you somehow you, that's how you survive. But at the same time, you sort of lose who you are. Yeah, it's, it, if that makes sense at all. But that's one of the big things I personally got from the film. But the movie yeah. itself is about the lead commander of this group of legionnaires, and how um, he, he has like a very inflated sense of importance because like he is like a the leader of this very small group in a very small portion mm-hmm. and how a lot of his efforts were sort of to, in a lot of ways, and sort of to, to garner the attention of his superior officer. 
and how that, that's been a big portion of here just sort of catch his like I guess idol's eye but that's sort of been undercut with the arrival of this like new mysterious recruit who's sort of like he's he came from nowhere he has no family just sort of like this is the only way for that recruit sort of to find a meeting just to just to be thrown into this sort of military operation and how very quickly this new recruit sort of gains the favor of the the high commanding officer and sort of like this just this long simmering like cold war between this recruit this new recruit and his direct superior and it's just really interesting because there's a lot of well there's a lot of people who had a very like eloquently dissertation level treatise on these movie and my dumb ass review is just like shit happens when dudes aren't allowed to be gay <laughs> god <laughs> yeah because I, I do know like one of the explicit things about the film is that Claire Nees wanted to, to mention just like how a lot of male culture is sort of like deeply physical and emotional, but sort of there's this this beer they won't allow themselves to have. Yeah. But there's so much of what male culture is that's deeply homoerotic. Like yeah. the movie are these dudes like half naked, just like bumping and grinding on them doing their military like training. And even when they go out, like they, you know, they're, all, they're dancing with the girls, they spend more time with each other. Yeah, that because, yeah that. No, go ahead. It's basically saying like there's a there's a lot of like leeway, I guess, cisgendered heteronormative men give each other for like sort of like homoerotic, I guess, contact. But then like. There is there is a divide, but after a certain point, like the more they t- they spend time with each other, that sort of falls away because like oh we're just dudes, so it doesn't really matter what we do after a point because we're just us just guys being dudes. Yeah, there's, yeah. There, there's almost this like uh, line of irony where as long as you're playing it ironically and and there's no level of sincerity. Once you introduce sincerity into it, is when it becomes it, it um, becomes intimate. Yeah, and then I, th- I think it's more of the intimacy with, and, and that's in, that that genuine, sincere connection. Which is, which makes I guess the military is so interesting is that while the military is seen as sort of the mo- most like machismo, masculine, heterosexual thing, there's a lot of it just sort of like deeply, like I guess homosexually coded, and just sort of like how there's a, like a there's like a deep like emotional bond that the men connect with each other, even though the dialogue is very sparse throughout the movie. There's not a lot spoken out loud. And honestly, just being bluntly, not a lot really happens. It's all sort of like emotional, sort of like you watching things play out and like inferring what's happening like obliquely and explicitly. Mm -hmm. And another sort of like smaller portion of the movie is that while a lot there aren't a lot of black characters in the film like as sort of main characters Claire Denise was very specific to like point them out and especially for the people who are like living in the African uh, people that are living in this sort of colonized town that even though they're not overtly part of the film they're always there because you always sort of see like you see them looking in yeah I, I was gonna. That, that's a very interesting, deliberate choice that she made. Even though 
they want to focus that their present is always felt. I was gonna say because it's the um it's the French Foreign Legion, yeah. so there should there should be like, you know, it's all it, the French Foreign Legion is compromised of every uh people of many nationalities. You know that was that was the whole purpose of the French Foreign Legion for some reason and to have a different you know uh, military sect specifically designed to carry multiple ethnicities or nationalities. Uh, you know, so that you know that. It's great, and that makes um, that she did that, and that that makes sense as well. Uh, I was gonna say though, from looking at the letterbox um, image on here, it looks. I mean, it's just it's an image of the guys wrestling shirtless, and I'm and like, you know, that physicality, uh, bare skin touching bare skin. You know, it's very like you said, homoerotic, and also, I mean, when you go back to the time of ancient Greeks with how they wrestled and stuff, like. Uh, that that also was very much like the physicality of that was very like of mis ma- like this kind of masculinity is like like you said like feels homoerotic and then also with these with a lot of these soldiers you know if they're fighting foreign wars they're going to these places they're isolated it's just them you know it's like stuff stuff's gonna happen <laughs> bros being bros guy pals yeah guy pals <laughs> but but and then not only just that but uh one thing i've noticed especially being in various straight cis male circles is it's also very performative and theatrical as well mm-hmm. sort of masculinity and i think that also leads to that that line and disconnect because you know as long as it's just this performance it's it's not gay bro you know but one but once it once that facade sort of breaks that's i think where that uncomfortableness lies and i think like what's interesting is with the film is that you really get to see while no one real soldier gets a lot of time specifically you you see like how they are like this well-oiled machine and like how they do (laughs) (laughs) pun intended yeah Invocative energy, um, very well sustained. But like how there is like they have a very close knit bond out. Like there's there's one scene where they're coming back from like a hot night in the town, and they do this thing where they want like they alternate picking up one fella in particular and putting him on like one person's shoulder and just sort of like parading them each like one at a time down the city. Like once they got finished dancing or whatever, it's just them together. It's, it there's there's so yeah. much of it that feels just surreal and dreamlike and just like what the the men are doing but also just it the the place they're in just feels completely removed from reality like they're just so far disconnected from everything and like it may sound like a lot of just like pretentious bullshit in a lot of ways but like personally i thought it was a great film yeah and if you and if you're still with us after hearing us talk about movies and realize that that we are pretentious. I mean, that's kind of par for the course. But th- this sound movie uh, sounds really fucking cool. I want to check it out. No, this movie sounds like I remember when I saw the um, the Criterion release for it. I really liked the cover, and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And then I looked it up, and I was like, "This, you know, I really, really want to see this." And hearing you talk about it, Pat, and then seeing your review, I am like, I I need to watch it now. <laughs> like I like you made me like more excited to like see it. It's it's a fantastic film. Like I said, I don't give out five stars easily, and this is one of the no. He doesn't. I've given this year. <laughs> he does not. I mean, I, I, I'm 
I mean, five stars shouldn't be given out. That, that's sort of my thinking. Um, with, with with just like five stars, I'm not, and I'm not saying anybody who gives them out more freely that somehow invalid. It just for me personally, I just don't give them out. No, no, freely. no. I, you know, that completely, completely fine. Yeah, I don't want anybody hearing this to think like, oh, if you don't throw out five stars freely, you're stingy. Like, no, no. I'm I'm not. You know, I mean, if you want to be stingy, you can. I'm not stingy. If you're not, I mean, if you're stingy, that's fine. It's your view and habits. You you rate and review it as you like. Exactly. And if you still love it, but, like, it's not five stars, then you love it. You know? It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And I've noticed as I've gotten older, the fewer five stars I've started to give out. I think it's just sort of once you view so much, it becomes, you know, and start comparing things to one another, it becomes easier to sort of differentiate well what what makes this one better than that by you know whatever metric and um yeah the one last um good gay content i saw was from shutter and that was uh the boulet brothers dragula resurrection hell yes (laughs) we we talked about that on the podcast uh in november and what this is is a a two-hour special on shutter and it's the boulet brothers taking um Contestants from the first three seasons of Dragula and giving them another chance to to like to show themselves, show their stuff, and earn a position as a contestant in season four. And what makes it interesting because this was filmed during quarantine. Uh, the Boulet brothers they sent their camera crew, their very small crew, out to each individual queen's home, and they're all across the country, and sort of. It's a very, it's a much more intimate, uh, personal look at each of the queens and what they've sort of been doing and how they sort of evolved as people and as performers since their time on the show originally. And it's just like it's a wonderfully shot film, like it's just great. And just seeing how the queens, uh, like personally have evolved. Like there's some queens whose style has like wholesale changed. Like there's one queen I didn't recognize her. Because like her drag had shifted so much, it's still a, a, a she's still a fantastic performer. But whereas before she had a, a much more like feminine persona, she's definitely gone more into like a more masculine direction with her mm-hmm. with her drag. And another it went through a big transformation because oh, between their season and the film to the special, they came out they came out as trans and then had begun their transition. So like they're they were because they, they're they were AMAB assigned male at birth and now the, uh, they're trans woman and just to see their transition like metaphorically and literally mm-hmm. it's great and I love this character from the from the third season and and having not seen the first season seen the uh, first season queens and what they what their gimmicks are really cool although I will say there's one queen in the first season who's like she's very talented. But she's a goober, like an absolute goober. <laughs> Fuck. Because like all the other queens are just like, yes, yeah, she's good, but like she goofy. <laughs> <laughs> and and just like the looks, because like there's there's three challenges that all the queens they have to um, do a what was it a ghost, a witch, and a vampire look. And I was gag bagged and tagged throughout this whole special because like every look was just even the quote weakest look still looked phenomenal and like the top tier looks were like holy shit 
Hell yeah. Because like literally every queen is just like leveled up like crazy between their seasons and like they're all fantastic. So like if you love Boulay Brothers Draco, you were going to have a fit over this show because it's so good. And if you've never watched it before, I, I still think you'll be completely mesmerized because it's just like just a high level of it's it's art. It's a high level of art on this mm-hmm. on performance. And like it's and plus just seeing how drag has been able to cope with COVID has been really impressive as well because like um Bits Pudding from season three, she more or less started digital drag, which is like online drag shows. Hell yeah. And sort of like seeing how, how quickly drag has evolved and it drag is continuing to evolve. It's, it's so much, it's like so impressive to watch. Yeah. So like I would watch it. it even if you're coming in there completely cold, you'll love it. And plus the, this special had the, um, the added bonus of getting me into listening Orville Peck. Oh yes, Pat showed oh, me sh- him and good shit. Because there's a, there's an Orville Peck song that closes out the special, and the song is um, "Dead of Night," mm-hmm. and how it's set to the in it's fucking chills. Hell, I was about to say, so "Dead of Night" is like one or uh, is one of his uh, their songs that I've heard so uh, much about. Like fuck, hell yeah. So needless to say, I am an Orville Peck uh, fan now, and I can't love wait. the aesthetic. So I I understand. Like mm-hmm. like this is what I, I want. I love characters in um he's 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 a gay cowboy and he has this uh, like character. He lives the kayfabe like he doesn't go anywhere without his mask on. And like I want that that's everything that I want in like a personality. I want a big character. Bonus fact: they're gay, and he's. Good friends with Lil Nas X, also another big gay icon, Hell and yeah. the cowboy. Hell yeah, Hell yes. All right, so the that's my piece. Uh, feel free to take the baton. Alrighty. Uh, okay, I think I'll talk about this one now. Um, what? Uh, watched a movie uh, leading up to Halloween. Uh, it was a South Korean movie I've been meaning to get to for a long time called I Saw the Devil. By let me make sure I get uh, Kim Ji Woon, and the the premise of the movie is this uh, guy who sort of works as in like this secret service type of profession. Uh, his girlfriend is killed by a serial killer, and so he uses you know all the resources at his disposal to find this guy but like as he finds him he tortures him a little bit patches him up and then sends him out like this like fucked up cat and mouse game uh which and it builds to this really tragic crescendo at the end and, and while like there like as far as like thematically there's not much behind you know that that uh, Nietzsche quote. Uh, he who fight monsters will become a monster himself. Yeah, that one. So, uh, however, it's just a immaculately shot movie. It's really fucking tense, and and while it is like, in some ways, a horror movie, it's in some ways more of an action movie, especially by by the climax, because it's like, ah, oh, what's going to happen? And it's just 
they keep one upping each other, and it's and it, and then meanwhile, like there's just some brutal shit that happens. It, it, it's like there, there were a couple times where I audibly gagged. Fuck. Uh, because I, I want to say I remember hearing you watch this movie at a few different points. <laughs> However, there is this one moment that just popped into my head that I couldn't help but laugh at how fucking absurd it was. <laughs> okay. Because, and, and Cannon came in right as that scene started, and he, he was just sort of transfixed and was like, well, alrighty then. Because it, it, I, I don't want to spoil it, but because I, I want you to experience that as I did, not knowing what the fuck was about to happen. But uh, the guy, uh, the serial killers played by uh, Choi Min Sik, the guy who played Odesu and Old Boy, the main character. Okay. Um, oh wow. Yeah, and he's just a despicable fucker. So and like. God, it's it's just really fucking good. Uh, I will say, like, probably a big... The only complaint I have with the movie, besides it not having a lot of thematic depth, is it's really long. It's two and a half hours. So, oh, wow. And then I was watching it on Tubi, which has ads, too. So it's like, uh, if length is a barrier of entry for you, keep that in mind. And also, too, like I said, it's brutal, so various trigger warnings and just like viewer discretion advised because uh there is an achilles heel that gets sliced and that's oh my one god of the tame bits oh that's Damn a tame it. bit jesus yeah and it is well and like i said it's beautifully shot and the 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 final shot of the movie is a single it's a single take tracking shot that's really haunting and, and it really gets into how just empty this is this yeah. whole quest is and like everyone tells the, the main character along the way it's like you know you could stop at any time and he's just like no god damn it i'm gonna keep doing it <laughs> it's, what, it's what we yelled at every moment during uncut gems at adam sandler's character you can stop at any time <laughs> Basically, but you you know this is a lot more violent. It's like Adam Sandler voice. This is how I win. <laughs> this is how I win. This is how I win. Fuck. God. And, and so yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really fucking good. I can't say any more superlatives about uh, Korean Korean cinema. Really fucking good. More people need to get on that. That's true. Including myself. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to watch, though. Um, I was going to say, uh, another movie I watched as well. Um, Criterion Channel, uh, you know, they're, they're always... Uh, I'm al- they're always taking movies off, and so I'm always, like, bum-rushing to watch them. And uh, one of their movies that's not on there anymore, uh, 1987's uh, Under the Sun of Satan. It's by uh, Maurice Palliette. I think that's how you say that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, it's a film uh, starring uh, Gerard Depardieu. Depardieu. He. Um, Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, Depardieu. Sorry, and um, he he plays a um, father Dosin Dosignan. 
I'm sorry, I might be butchering. My French is not the best. I'm sorry. Um, but he plays this uh, this priest who is being uh, tempted or plagued, I guess, by Satan. And um, it was really good. It was um, nothing like it, it was. Uh, it was uh, 98 minutes, so it wasn't too long. And um, it's not really like uh, really like uh, high. I wouldn't say high strung or high stakes, but like because it's not an action film. I don't know why I want to say like it's not. It's not that exciting, but that doesn't matter. But like it was like there's a lot of uh, really good dialogue from uh, the character and um, like philosophical uh, themes, uh, inner turmoil that was just really well done. like it, 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 it was really good. Every time he spoke, um, Depardo. Every time he spoke, it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I definitely give it a recommend if you can find it somewhere. Um, another film I watched that was also from the eighties. Oh yeah, and also Under the Sun of Satan. Beautiful movie. I should say that as well. And um, but like on another side of that, uh. 1989's uh, Society by Brian Yuzna, directed by Brian Yuzna. Ooh, I've heard very interesting things about that one. I, I want to say, actually, uh, quite a few people I follow online, they all happen to watch that within this quarter of the year as well. It, man, it was... It was a good movie. I, I really enjoyed it, and... Um, uh, I'll just say the synopsis. Uh, Beverly Hills Teen played by Billy Warlock, what a name, uh, discovers his parents are part of a gruesome orgy cult for the social elite. And I would just leave it at that. I think everybody should check it out. It was really fun, uh, really disgusting, as you can imagine. Um, God, it sounds like Eyes Wide Shut with just like some slasher shit thrown in there. Ooh, let's take uh, let's take the slasher out and put body horror. Okay, like some Cronenberg, is it? Yeah, it's pretty spot on. Uh, I don't want to say too much, though. Really fucking fun movie, though. Um, And then uh, whenever uh, I hit, I was about to hit my, um, I was getting really close to my 100 movies. So Society was my 94th. So then uh, my 95th was Burn the Witch, which it was on our, that was on our anime episode uh, for fall anime, I want to say. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, be sure to go back and check that out. Burn the Witch has got a very glowing recommendation from our, our fall lineup. Oh, yeah. I watched all three episodes. Fantastic. And it's on Letterboxd. So I counted it as a movie. Um, and then so I was I got to my 96 movie and I was like, okay, these four these four movies are going to be my final, you know, final four. Like they have to be absolutely stellar or they have to look stellar or, what you know, they, they just have to be like, okay, I'm going to watch these and they're going to be great. This is how I'm going to end it off. So the first movie I watched was Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives. That's from 2010. Um, I, I can't say the director's name. I, I can't. It's just I don't want to get it wrong, and I feel so bad if I do. So I, I won't. But from this director, though, from this movie and from what I heard, really want to check out uh their filmography because man like this was just like my first introduction and it was good it's um uh uh this man uh boomy he's dying from kidney failure and it's like 
it's like some kind of weird like folk surreal tale um he's visited by his dead wife uh he gets visited by a son who turned into some hairy creature uh what really got me onto this movie was uh on the criterion channel the uh, thumbnail image for it is this black just black furry figure with these glowing red eyes and it looks so cool and i was just immediately just entranced by it. i was like i have to watch this movie yeah and, the, um, um, the header photo for the picture on letterbox is pretty spooky you see like this black silhouetted figure in the woods and just like with just no distinguishing feature other than just glowing red eyes it's very yeah. disconcerting yeah it was there's a lot of like cr- eeriness to this film and like um just really uh really interesting uh very ambiguous too there's there's a lot going on with it and i really enjoyed it and um one of my favorite quotes is uh from the character's dead wife is uh uh he's asking about heaven and she's like heaven's overrated there's nothing there I was like, shit, like, I was just like, cut, cut right there, that was amazing, it was just so, it was so perfect, like, it, it was just a, such a simple, like, l- little lines, but the, the delivery was well done, um, I don't know, I really enjoyed that, um, so yeah, I, I recommend that, if you can, if you can find it as well, um, another film I watched that, um, you know, I was, I, I saw it. It's on Netflix. You can watch it right now, too. It's called Lingua Franca. It's from last year, 2019. It's directed by Isabel Sandoval. I was like, hell yes. It's a Filipino-directed uh, film. I was like, got to get that representation. Also, the director is trans, and the character is trans. I was like, hell yes, a trans story. I got to watch it. Very so, nice. Yeah, I was really um, <laughs> I was really excited. I, I like, like a Filipino trans woman, I was like, I got to like hell yeah and um it was great it was uh it was a five star for me it was um it's about uh olivia uh the director actually plays the character olivia and uh she is an undocumented filipina immigrant and um she she's living in uh, new york and she's like paranoid about of course deportation which is something that's in there it shows like footage and audio of trump and uh ice uh, you know, deporting people, and um, it, it was like, it's very, you know, very real fear, and a very valid fear, and I was like, I was, I think that's, like, very important, and then especially, you know, with um, a Filipino trans, you know, voice, uh, oh, man, I, I really, um, it, 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 I really liked it, and it, like, it just only gives us a glimpse, just a glimpse of, of the cruelty that is, um, that is inflicted on not only immigrants, but also trans people, because, um, there is, um, there's a character in there who is, um, who uses, you know, some kind of, um, problematic language, um, you know, not a, not a, um, minor character, but of course, you know, you're going to have these fuckers who say stupid shit because they don't, they don't understand or just because they're dicks. And, um, you know, that like, there's that. And, man it it was just i loved it it was great and um and it's also a love story as well or uh a story about like uh longing and desperation um because she is trying to find um she's essentially trying to um marry a man american to get a green card and um 
it, it that that side is also interesting as well for you know anybody who who wants to um hear more about immigrant stories um so yeah and then um that was my 97th film my 98th film was 1979's stalker by andre tarkovsky Van, amazing film or it is my second tarkovsky film and um uh i've also given it five stars it was fantastic what really got me to watching this was because it was it, it appears on a lot of sci-fi lists for essential movies and um you know having played metro um having heard about a book called uh, roadside picnic i was like okay i gotta check it out um it was also the film that killed tarkovsky and most of everybody who worked on the film um, yeah very infamously because they were standing in fucking sewage for months on end <laughs> like yeah, radioactive like, runoff water yeah chemical yeah just a bunch of chemicals and it, it you know it, it gave him cancer and um you know it's really sad but um he worked very, very hard on the film um, they had to reshoot it three times it, you know a lot of a lot of issues with it and it came out i think it came out exactly how I'd wanted it, how he wanted it to, and how he wanted it. His vision of it, absolutely just amazing, immaculate, beautiful film. I, I like, I just, it was, it was, you know, it was long. So keep that in mind. Um, yeah, it's oh, nearly man. three hours. And it's like, and the, and like, the thing is too, is like, it has like, because it like, it changes, uh, it changes colors, gradients so many times the way it plays with shadows. And it's just, it has like, it has so much, it can, it has so much shit to say, but what it says, it like varies. It was just amazing film masterpiece. Check it out. It is also on the Criterion channel. If you have it also, you know, if you want to buy it, uh, there's still a criteria. Well, no, by the time this comes out, the Criterion so will be over at Barnes & Noble. But, hey, whenever that happens again, buy it. Um, yeah. uh, that was one of the movies I watched as well. And it is, as Wenzel puts it, it is very exceptional as far as it's fucking gorgeous, especially once they get to the zone and it goes to color. It's really fucking just beautiful. Um, yeah. There's um, like and and it has like a ridiculously small shot count. It's like I think like a hundred something shots in the movie. There's, there's, there's a lot of just like long single takes. Yeah, yeah. Like, th- th- there's one in particular that's like somewhere between like five and ten minutes. Um, and yeah, it's just has some really interesting things to say. Just sort of about you know, life and art and religion, religion, especially, even though I'm, I don't think I agree with Tarkovsky's interpretation of the film, death of the author. Fuck you, you old fuck. But (laughs) yeah, fuck you for giving yourself and your whole crew cancer. Yeah. That that was really shitty. Fuck you. But also thank you for this movie because it was really good. Uh, yeah. (laughs) And, and, and I will say that final scene, I was not ready for that. Yeah. I was like, all right, we're doing this now. All righty, cool. (laughs) Just from Uh, what I've read on the film and what little bit Jonathan has told me, there's a lot that makes me think of Annihilation. Yeah. Uh, From what I've, from what people have said, Annihilation is heavily influenced from this movie. Um, Uh, yeah, um, yeah, you know, I should also, I should go ahead and explain what the movie's about. I should say that Stalker is about, um, there's an area that has been, um, 
designated the zone because at some point there was some kind of um, event event that caused it to be uninhabitable for humans anyway um you know uh and there are people and there and but because um there are whatever this event happened there are things in the zone there are artifacts that have special abilities um people want to go into the zone so they have guides called stalkers and stalkers um you know that's that's what they're called to take them in there and they go to these artifacts and the one facility this film focuses on is a room that grants any wish and you know there you go and it was uh well i wouldn't say a wish it grants your heart's desire I would, but what your heart's desire is can betray because you may consciously think you want something but it turns out in your subconscious, you want something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. Um, and and just the um, you know, and it, like, man, I I really enjoyed this film because just the the zone in general, them ex- kind of like exploring it was interesting to me because um, it's like just full of anomalies and like the laws of physics are like altered and it, I, I just thought that was really cool and that like also you know influences a lot of stuff in the future uh media wise um man really enjoy it yeah it's i can't say enough good about it it's yeah it's one of the few movies i've given a five star to this year as well um, hell yeah yeah just thought that the whole concept of the zone and, and like if you sort of like disassociate and take yourself out of the moment, like just seeing what the characters are doing, it kind of just looks like a bunch of three jackasses dicking around in the (laughs) middle of the Russian wasteland. (laughs) But because the acting and writing and the cinematography is so good, it really gives gravitas to the events that are happening instead of like, if it was in lesser hands, it would just look like three douchebags just dicking around in the middle of the Russian wasteland. I was like, I'm imagine just like this, be- what, like this very like gray shot film, but it just has like yakety sacks playing and it's like falling over like stumps and shit and they fall into rivers like, you know, up and down. You know, I was about to say, if we, if we were going to this place, I think we would be three dicks just fucking around in the Russian wasteland. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Stay tuned for AYCH reboot stalker. And you know, and the thing is too, at some point we would just look up at the sky and be like, fuck you, Tartakovsky. We make this shit look fun. <laughs> and and like also we we did this whole bitch ninety minutes. Bitch, we'll we'll get it just at Academy Length 42. Fight me. <laughs> oh fuck. The shortest that, uh, movie it, it could still be called a movie. Let's speed run it. Thirty minutes. No, like no, it, it's three hours <coughs> worth of movie. We just have the speed all the way up so, it's, so it actually is 90 minutes. Yeah, we just have it on 2.5 speed. <laughs> and there's Everyone just a sounds ton of, like chipmunks. It's going to be great. And there's a ton of important stuff that just cut out. <laughs> like, uh, Oh, yeah, you're going to be completely lost. Yeah, all, all the important yeah. stuff is in the supplementary material that's given away at the theater. Fuck. And you know what? We're going to get awards. I'm going to... that. Yeah, we're going to get awards. It's going to be geniuses. a war winner. I mean, look, we how will many be. movies have we made on this show already? Let's be honest. And how many shows have we rebooted? I mean, exactly. Like, Hollywood should fucking pay us. Like, I mean, really? I, I still have yet to see a royalty track. 
I mean, like, we deserve Big so Hollywood much. is keeping down the little people out here. That's true. Big Hollywood. What the fuck? <laughs> Hollywood is big. <laughs> what you don't know, Pencil, is there's big Hollywood and there's little Hollywood, which is half-scale Hollywood right beside big Hollywood. <laughs> Wait. What is little what is it's literally just big Hollywood, but half the size. Okay. You get to walk around and feel big in it. Fuck. Besides, who um, wants to go to Hollywood? We, we, we can just go like two hours up the road to Dollywood. Hell yeah. The, the, oh, the woman yeah. that's footing the bill for the COVID vaccine. Dolly Parton's a fucking saint, mm. and she needs more praise. God damn it. I, I canonized Dolly as a living Fuck. saint. Yeah, hell fuck yeah, you, Saint Teresa, Dolly you Parton, bitch. Put fucking yeah. Dolly up there. Fuck you, um, Paul. Yeah, Paul was a bitch. I I don't know anything about Saint Paul. Well, uh, Paul McCartney, also a bitch. Sir, Sir I, Paul the, McCartney. The, the he was two knighted. Pauls, I will fight on sight. <laughs> Is there a good These Paul? motherfuckers about to catch some fucking hands. Yeah, what was the last big thing that Paul McCartney did? He made Lisa Simpson vegan. Hey, hey, Sir Paul McCartney, sir. He sir was Paul knighted. McCartney's going to get, like, an ass whipping. Yeah. And the reason he's getting the ass whooping is now that it's Christmas and that stupid fucking simply having wonderful Christmas time song, I want to gouge my ears out with fucking kneading needles. It's like, motherfucker, you are in the Beatles. You know how to write a song. Why the fuck? Fuck! Does this suck so bad? I'm done. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna get to my 99th movie. Uh, <laughs> it came out in 1968. It is Death by Hanging, uh, directed by Nagisa Oshima. Um, it, if you can't guess, it has to do with hanging a guy, uh, a Korean man who was uh, convicted of a crime and sentenced to death. They hang him. Uh, but he doesn't die, and the Japanese authorities don't know what to do. And that, you know, when I when I read that, I was like, I didn't think it would be a dark comedy. I thought, like, I was like, oh, man, they're just, like, confused and perplexed. Like, they are confused and perplexed, but it's really fucking funny because, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a dark comedy. And um, it actually kind of, like, well, it uh, there's, there's a point to it. And the point is that it's, it's criticizing... Um, the prejudices, the prejudices of the Japanese uh, system of laws yeah, of how system. of how like it's mostly based upon discrimination. Um, it's it was very thought provoking, and I I you know it was another five star. Like it's a good ass movie. Um, again, Criterion Channel. It's on there. It's also available to purchase. Watch it. Buy it. I recommend. Wendell has not been uh, paid by the Criterion Channel to promote anything, nor have I not received they, a check from this show they, corporation. Okay, they have taken so much of my money, and I don't, and I keep giving. I don't mind that I keep giving them my money. They they have so much good stuff, and honestly, the Criterion Channel was a good investment on me, but also all the Criterion movies I have. Oh my god, like holy shit! I I love Criterion, like. Uh, <laughs> like shovel that shit into my brain, man. Yeah, just like some behind the scenes. That's what most birthdays look around for the AYCH family. It's just us giving each other Criterion DVDs. 
Oh, y'all better uh, be prepared. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you better be prepared, Jonathan. <laughs> all right. That's a that's He's a man. fucking threat. That's a fucking threat, bitch. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a thing though. We've uh, as far as I know, we've like when it comes to like Christmas or birthdays, we've always threatened each other. It's like it's just threats. <laughs> Don't make me get you that shit you wanted for like ten years. You little bitch. Don't make me fucking love you, man. <laughs> shit. Um. But yeah. Um. My and this was actually my hundredth movie was actually a gift from Jonathan for my birthday this year. Criter- another Criterion film. It was 2019's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I've been wanting to watch this movie for so long. I like I wanted to see it in theaters. It never came here, and then it was on. It, ca- it came to Hulu. I'd been putting it off. Then Jonathan got this for me, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna watch this, and it's gonna be my hundredth film. And I'm glad it was because oh my god, it is amazing. Like, fuck. Like, it needs, like, uh, uh, everybody here who hasn't watched it needs to watch it, of course. Um, you, you know, if you're listening, you need to watch it. Fantastic film. Um, it's about lesbians. But Great. they're just friends, Wenzel. They're gal pal. And, and, you know, I was... I think a reason why I put it off for so long is because I was I was afraid of what it would do to me emotionally, um, and I was correct. It it, it made me really really sad um, because it's a film about um, a woman. She's an artist. She's been uh, she's been she has to go to this island uh, to where this wealthy um, sort sort of wealthy uh, French um, mother lives with her uh, daughter and she's been um, commissioned to paint a portrait of the daughter to give to her uh, suitor or her future husband um, because she's been like forced into this marriage and um, but she has to do it in secret because um, the last person who was commissioned could never um, who couldn't paint her uh, because she she would avoid it altogether and he could never get a clear um, just clear image of her or clear picture. So, um, so she has to do it kind of in secret and, uh, it was just really good, really, really good and really sad. And it, um, I don't, there was a really, really good, like just straight up feminist scene in there that was so fucking good, but I don't want to spoil it. So I'm not, but watch it. And that was my hundredth movie. Yeah. It's definitely been on my list. So if you want, um, Fire, um, a lot of artist turmoil and some good gay shit. Okay, sorry, I'm not done yet. The music in there was really good too, and there's also a really good scene where the portrait of a lady on fire, the girl, uh, the woman, she's on fire, and it was really fucking good. What? Okay, now I'm done. What? <laughs> uh, sorry, but spoiler alert, she turns into the human torch. Flame on, yeah, bitch. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty sick. Um, I had just one more movie to talk about, and which I, I had mentioned at the top of the show, it was that today, uh, before we started recording today, I watched um, Brandon Cronenberg's new film, Possessor. And um, they're, they're, Voodoo was having a sale, so I was, able to, uh, I was able to rent it for a discounted price. And um, it's a very good movie. It's about um, this woman named, excuse me, Tasha Voss. She is just like assassin that works for this like clandestine organization and the gimmick is is that um, they find a mark 
and then so what they that they sort of like kidnap somebody that that would be within that mark sort of social circle, and then they take the the assassin's consciousness and then upload that into the uh, kidnapped person. So therefore, the person the the assassin is walking around another person's body. That way, they get they able to kill the mark and then jump out and they can't be identified because all they see is just a person that unrelated person to the company that killed this person and that's all anybody talks about but uh, i will say big trigger warnings for this movie um because there's just it's very brutally violent um this just like a lot of like high anxiety like triggers and like for me like the last 45 minutes my anxiety was just like fucking fever pitch just like a just like Kill Bill sirens going off my head, just like Jesus Christ, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> like I was so fucking anxious in, in the last part of that movie, and also it's it's not really content warning, but like if you're photosensitive, like you're like sensitive to like flashing lights, imagery, you probably don't want to watch this movie because there's a lot of that because it's kind of apparently it's just impossible to make a movie with a lot of like psychotropic mind fucky business without just like flashing like lights and sounds and imagery it's almost like it's baked into this story concept but be aware of that if 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 no like content triggers set you off but if but that that might be something because even if you're not photosensitive that can be just really sort of stressful and just sort of at least nothing else aggravating to, to like experience and obviously, a lot of this movie depends on the <clears throat> depends on you watch this. I don't want to give too much away, but it's a very strong movie. It's very harrowing. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of like it's just a lot of beautiful shots in the film. It, like it, like it, it, like a lot of the movie, it feels very dreamlike. It feels very haunting, even in its beauty. Some of the shots, it feels very disturbing and surreal. And like, there's like just a lot of just like isolated shots of the main character in certain locations, and you just feel like, is is this happening? Is this real? Because like, obviously, I guess Miles Moore, there's there's a lot of like mind fuckery happening, of course. So like, there's a lot you're really just like really trying to piece together, and just like the idea of like being in someone's body and a and sort of like it's just it's just just weird disturbing thing. someone's taking you over mm-hmm. and like you can't you have no control of it and plus there's an extra layer of bullshit when like she's in a mark's body and then she's also wearing vr so like this extra layer of like fuckery is happening oh damn because like <clears throat> it's it's really just a very like dense and interesting movie and like of course cronenberg takes after his father in a lot of ways there's a, a lot of like very disturbing like body horror moments. It's not to the extent of his father, but like obviously it's there. And as brief as are, it's still it's still very unnerving. Especially toward the end, there's like the one bit that's like, ooh, I went goddamn. That's fucking intense. Also, I'm surprised nobody heard me yelling over the course of this movie because I was like I shouted a lot just because I was just like <laughs> holy fuck because there's a lot of like brutal violence. In the movie, I was just like Jesus Christ. So there's there's one bit with a fire poker, <sighs> fuck me up. Shit. Yeah. Colt told me he he watched the uncut version as well, and he told me he was like it's brutal as hell. Yeah. Like and 
there, especially there, there's some bits at the end I was like not prepared for. I was like, holy fuck, they did that. So like, I will say it, it, it may be weird that this whole episode was kind of speaking in vagaries about a lot of these movies, but like a lot of these movies just have to be seen to believe. And obviously, exactly. a lot of the folks on the show they want to watch the movies also they want to re- retain some surprise for them as well. But like with like a heavy sort of content warning. And so, like emotional content as well, it's. I think it's very much worth. Saying. It's to me, it's one of the stronger films I've seen in a year, and probably one of the the strongest films for twenty twenty as a whole. Hell, Hell yeah, yeah, dude, dude, man! And I, I just saw your rating for it, Pat. That makes me so. That makes me even more excited to see it. Uh, shit, yes. Because <laughs> my letterbox review was pretty succinct. This movie just said. I don't give a fuck about your anxiety <laughs> because like, like I can't, like I was just pacing at, at toward like a, toward the latter part of the movie. It was just like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. And like, usually I'm, I, I get weirdly anxious about certain movies, but part of me feels like it, this movie is very anxiety inducing in a different way. Maybe I just had a very high anxiety. It just hit me on a, in a, the right place on the right day. Cause I was just like, fuck. It's the last part of that movie, but it's it's very good. Um, I it's like I said, it's it's one of my strongest films of the year. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, yeah. Brandon is just as fucked up as his dad. I'm not surprised there. Um, I guess sort of the the last set of movies I want to talk about was um, I finally got a chance to watch Suspiria, both the '77 and 2018 remake. Uh, highly recommend both of them. Uh, I'm in the camp who prefers the remake over the original. Fight me. Uh, but, I mean, that's just sort of how it is. Uh, the The premise of... I'll start with the the old one, the, the 77 one. Uh, the premise is it's about this girl named Susie Banyan. She uh, goes to this... A prestigious dance academy in Germany, but there's weird, strange shit afoot, um, and it's really bright and colorful, and like it was really uh, like the lighting and the production is probably the biggest thing to watch this movie for, uh, just because it's really fucking gorgeous, and the. The score by Goblin is really fucking good. However, I I could see where someone would find it annoying because the, especially during like the crazy shit, there's a lot of like very um, it's very chaotic. Uh, it's I, I hesitate to call it rock, but like it's sort of very. You just sort of have to hear it to understand. Um, and, and you know, and as things go along, shit's uh, really trippy. Uh, there's a very dreamlike, uh, similar to like any sort of Lynch, like his like crazy shit. And this is a uh, by Dario Argento, who's a famous uh, Italian filmmaker. And for some reason, around this time, Italy had this weird production quirk where they would bring in actors from all over the world 
So that meant everyone was speaking their own language. So instead of having the actors learn the language they need to, to for the film, they all just sort of acted off each other in their own language. Okay. And, and then they would just dub over everything in post. I swear I... I remember hearing about that for a, a movie we, we might have watched earlier this year. I can't think what it is. That sounds very, very familiar to something I've read about a movie I've seen this year. But I've seen so many that kind of fall into the cracks now. But that sounds very familiar. That's yeah, how we do the AYCH it, podcast. Huh? That's how we do the podcast. Oh, yeah. We're all dubbed. <laughs> it's, it's entirely dubbed. But... um. And that can lead to some weird lip-syncing issues where it's like (laughs) some characters, you know, it's like, okay, that matches up. And then, oh, wow, that does not. But yeah, it's, um, I will say, like like I said, it's very, it's production is what you watch this movie for. It's not really for the story. It works more off of dream logic, but it still has this B-movie quality to it. And in order to talk about the sequel, I'm going to have to spoil this, but I mean, not the sequel, the remake, uh, but it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, you can kind of figure it out as it goes along. Uh, main, the reason weird shit's happening, it's a coven of witches. Oh, some witch shit. Witch shit. And like, there's some really interesting bits, like, like one of the characters is brushing her hair and then like, you just see these little white droplets fall. And it's maggots. Oh, ah. <laughs> and, and then it just does this like quick zoom on the ceiling, and it has the chaotic goblin music play, and it's really fucking cool. Uh, and, and there, and like the first like I will say, fifteen minutes of this movie are fucking bonkers. It, it just goes off the fucking rails. Um, and, and the same with the ending. However. <laughs> It just kind of ends. There's like no conclusion. And apparently that's sort of a thing with this filmmaker where (laughs) it just ends. There's just no conclusion. They they like a very like abrupt sudden end to their films. Yeah. uh, Much like life. (laughs) Yeah. I've noticed it with a lot of Hitchcock movies too, where it's like (laughs) very short conclusions but then that leads into the the remake which is it was by Luca Guadagnino who's famous for Call Me By Your Name and, and this is a complete departure from that you mean the one that eats a fruit covered in cum uh, whoa 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 Pat we we spoiled that that bit like three different times this year when it's all I know just warning I, I was gonna put a spoiler up anyway no warning for me <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's crazy in a different way uh and you'd think with a movie like remaking a classic like Suspiria it'd be like part of it's like what's the point because this is it's not the opposite it's more like the inverse of the original whereas like the the uh original is very vibrant and very stark in its color palette this one's very muted. Uh, instead of like the crazy goblin score, it's uh, the score is done by Tom York from Radiohead. 
Interesting. And, and it's very somber and melancholy and just like little piano pieces a lot of the time. Um, and it and it hits very similar beats to the original. Uh, like the overall outline of the story is the same, but there's a lot... Because like the original movie is like 90 minutes. It's really short. And this one's like two and a half hours. So there's a lot... And, and this one's more focused on the witches themselves. Like... Like the first scene, it's just like they're fucking witches. They they, they don't even try to <laughs> <laughs> they don't even try to hide it. But uh, it's more about sort of the hierarchy of the witches, and in particular, there's this uh, the clash between uh, Madame Blanc and Madame Marcos. And which which fight? Which one of those characters was Tilda Swinton's character? Yes. <laughs> Whoopsie. Uh, and, and that's uh, another thing about this movie. Uh, Tilda Swinton is in three roles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, like like I said, she's <laughs> she's just like Vanessa Hudgens in that new Christmas movie. And, and I'm not going to spoil one. Granted, you could probably like figure out because it's like, is that Tilda Swinton? Uh, uh, that's cool. But uh, each role more androgynous than the last. Let's just say it plays with gender. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, she plays both Madame Blanc and um, Madame Marcos. However, <laughs> you don't see Marcos until the end, and it's like, all right, fuck. <laughs> it, it's gross. Uh, but the whole, uh, the the sort of, what they're trying to do is they're leading up to this big ritual where they uh, resurrect the... Uh, resurrect the spirit of Mother Suspirior. And, and there's this, like, whole lore with the movie that there's these four um, mothers where, uh, like, four, like, creator deities. It's okay. I've seen The Fifth Element, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, and apparently, like, while it's not in the original Suspiria, there are, like, pseudo-sequels to su- the original Suspiria that, 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 direct, that Dario Argento did that bring in that lore so that they it was cool that they brought that from the later movies into this one uh and and it's all about the power struggle between who's going to get to be madame suspiriorum at the end uh and and a lot of the movies focused on uh dakota johnson who is this this version of Susie banyan and she's dakota johnson is an amazing actress and uh, got shafted with the Fifty Shades movies. However, Susie Banyan in this movie is a lot weird, and there are reasons to that. But like, and another thing about the original was, even though it's set in a dance academy, there's not really any dancing. Versus the, the remake, where it's all about the dancing, because that's how they conduct their magic. And and they're like the first like kill that happens in the movie is so fucking gross and visceral <laughs> oh shit yeah and, and and like granted like the uh, original Suspiria is intense in like a campy b-movie sort of way this one is like holy fuck that happened i don't think i gave the 2018 like a five star but it came pretty close uh if i had any complaint uh it's way too long there, there are definitely parts you could cut out from the movie. I was gonna ask, like, what event was it where we were gonna be we we're gonna be bold and watch Suspiria remake earlier this year? 
they feel like it was it's like on the cusp of a holiday something but then we're just like no nah, this is this is too this is too intense because like the whole thing is like we were gonna be drinking tonight that night and we're gonna we were gonna watch like a fun movie and then like Suspiria started but it did not finish I think we got maybe 20 minutes in it's like fuck this pretty good at drinking if that if you're being generous I'd say I think we didn't even get like 10 minutes in but uh I, I don't remember but like I I remember the reason why I was like you know we can stop this was I was drunk as shit like <laughs> Like, I was there, and this is a movie you have to pay attention to, so it's like, fuck. But, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really good. The ending is butt-fuck-wild. It's fucking insane. Uh, Yeah, and it has a bunch of really cool witchy shit. Highly recommend it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But yeah, those were all the movies I had. Wendell, did you have any more before we wrap up for today? Uh, I watched um, also on the Criterion uh, for All Mankind, which was like a documentary about like the um, moon landings. It was really good, really amazing footage. Um, anybody who thinks that the moon landings were fake or thinks the Earth is flat, fuck you, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> check that out. That's all. That's all I have. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, but that kind of coincided because you did watch that Flat Earth doc earlier in the year. I remember that. Yep. So, a nice companion piece. Well, I think that's the heads and tails of our fall viewing uh, history. Uh, I feel like it probably had some of like our strongest picks of the year just happened to kind of come at this year, at this, this portion of the year anyway. And um, we still got a little bit of the year left, so you can look forward to a little bit more movie talk in December and into uh, uh, at the end of the year as well. And while we're speaking of Descender, let's go ahead and talk about a little bit what you can expect from us in the last month of the year. We have a lot of good content coming out for you. Very excited for you all to all hear. Uh, as, as usual, we're doing a lot of Christmas content, a lot of holiday content in December, so you can look forward to a lot of Christmas themes, some, some fun um, food-based content coming out for the holidays. I think you all enjoy. We have... Or we have some game of the year talk coming up as well. So you can expect that. And of course, you know, um, it being Christmas, it's all about family. So we have uh, one more Fast and Furious files coming for you, for the years up. And also, family. The, also, the, the AYCH family will be making their appearance. We have a few more guests lined up from some familiar voices. They'll be joining us for the holidays as well. So, like I said, we have a lot of good content still to come before this year wraps up. And we're very excited for y'all to be listening to that. So, once again, thank you all for listening to this day. A lot of movie talk. We had a great time. But you sure can listen to us anywhere where podcasts are found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, and any RSS feed catcher out there. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. All those platforms. It helps us out. Puts us up higher in the algorithm. And just keeps the banter going, puts in front of new listeners, and shares with a friend. We appreciate any sort of, you know, sharing and and talk back. We do appreciate all that. You can listen to us talk about our our weird banter bits online on our social media on Twitter and Instagram at AYCH Podcast. And also, uh, thank you for uh, all the Bionicle fans for making our our last week's Insta post um, not only our <laughs> best post of the year, but one like the top two in AYC history. 
Hell yeah. Yeah. I, the Thank last you. I checked, it was like 170 likes on a nine picture photo grid of a girl bionicle. <laughs> So thank you all, the Binocle fans. We hear you, we see you, we appreciate you. <laughs> Hell yes! And you can follow us on Letterbox and Facebook at All You Can Hear. You can follow us on Twitch at Twitch.tv/slash All You Can Hear. And uh, all of our past streams, they will be on YouTube also at All You Can Hear. Um, we haven't been on Twitch lately just because like there's a lot of stuff going on, but we do we do intend to get back to that at some time. So um, be a little bit more patient on that. And lastly, you can follow me, Patrick, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox at John Lost His Name, and follow my art on Facebook at John Lost His Name Art. Uh, my name is Jonathan. You can follow me at on Twitter at J O N I I B O I twenty four and Letterboxed at John Odinson. Um, Wenzel, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Wednesday Wilkie. You can follow my art Instagram at Water Wednesday. Uh, you can go to my link tree, uh, my Letterbox, and Goodreads are on there if you want to go check those out. So yeah, thank you. All right, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you in December. Bye. Goodbye.